When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Happy for you guys to join us again on the Survivor Show, the last rankings before the real rankings. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about if chaos happens, what the final four on Sunday might be. We're going to talk about the, the conference title games that matter this weekend, where do we think who's the most vulnerable that could throw some stuff off? And we're going to really dig in on Georgia, Alabama, because that really has a great effect, whether the SEC is getting in one team or two. And we're going to talk about Michigan, Ohio State, looking back a little bit and then what that tells us about Michigan and what kind of what it means for Ohio State. As again, we started this podcast, guys, with the premise of there are Four teams that have taken 20 of the 28 spots in the history of the playoff. And as it stands, three of those teams are out. And one's going to be out probably again if they don't win. So Clemson, done early. Ohio State and Oklahoma, knocked out this weekend. Alabama, forced to beat the best team in the country to stay in it. And Shahan, we're going to keep doing the playoff show you know, while the playoff is going on, after these final rankings come out Sunday, we do want to tell people we will have a show up Sunday. That's our plan, that after you hear the rankings, like, get ready for us because we're going to get it out Sunday to you very quickly, reacting to this thing we've been talking about since August. But the fact that we're here, I, I want to, we're going to talk about this more later. But we may be entering a world where – we're going to have none of the familiar four, and I'll be very curious to see what people actually think of that. Will they be like, yes, something new? Or will anyone be like, oh, Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State? Oh, that's kind of weird. I'm feeling a little weird about this. How do you think people might react if that's where we are Sunday? Yeah, on Sunday might be a little weird. I think that there will be some level of excitement. I know that for People who are fans of sort of a non-power programs, there's going to be excitement about Cincinnati getting in. It's never happened before. No team had been ranked higher than number seven in the college football playoff rankings before this year. Um, but I think that the bigger thing about it is we're going to have to wait until we see these games. I think that's going to be the big determiner. Because, for example, if we come out and hypothetically, I don't really think it's going to happen, but if Georgia comes out and it's just like, oh, this is the team with the talent, and these are the teams that don't have the talent, that's going to be a huge knock heading forward If whenever we have these conversations, right? It, if the other teams just don't look on Georgia's level. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't I don't think that, uh, that Georgia's so dominantly good, and I don't think that these teams are going to get blown away by talent. I mean, for goodness sake, Michigan beat Ohio State. That's a team that has a lot of talent. For goodness sake, uh, Oklahoma State beat Oklahoma. That's a team that has top five type talent. So I don't anticipate that happening, but I think that the excitement is really going to come if – 
in this first round game, if somebody does give Georgia a run for their money, if Cincinnati does pull an upset, I think that's going to create a lot of excitement if the games happen to be good. And also just if people watch them and they're like, wow, the quality of play is a lot higher than I expected. High level football is going to matter. The, in the build up to stuff, in the ESPN promotion of stuff, if, if they're trying to sell Stetson Bennett, they better not from that team. <laughs> Pistol Pete, that guy with the mustache, cowboy guy for Oklahoma State. Hassan Haskins, Jerome Ford. It's time. And I'd be like, uh, remember when Trevor Lawrence was in this thing? Like, I do think, <laughs> right? Hey, where's Kyler Murray? That I do, I wonder about that. But it, the playoff should not be, <laughs> I'm going to say something that's going to sound so weird. The playoff should not be about promotion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm naive little Doug. Sorry. What what, uh, what version of the pointless rankings are we on this week reacting to? <laughs> we started a playoff podcast in August, <laughs> and I said the playoff should not be about promotion in July. In July. So here's the thing: like, if but but by the time you get to it, if they play high quality football games, right? Because look, Cincinnati Georgia in a bowl game last year that's a high quality, it was a great high quality football game. A couple of years ago, Penn State does not make the playoff. They're number five. Ohio State gets in in 2016. Penn State goes and plays a great Rose Bowl against Sam Darnold and USC. That's a high level fun football game. People would have taken that in the playoff, right? The, and we've had terrible teams with the consistent teams that get in there. LSU Oklahoma was a horrible game, so it's not like Oklahoma is. But you know, so. But then Georgia Oklahoma was an awesome semifinal, right? So if, if the football is good, Michigan looked like a really good football team against Ohio State. If Michigan goes and does that, does their version of that, that's going to be high quality football. So that's out there. But I'm, and we'll talk about this in December, but I'll be very curious about people have said the playoff is getting stale. They want something new. They're getting something new. It depends if it's going to be all new or just pretty new, and I'll be very curious to see how people really embrace that. Let's get to the rankings, though. The rankings that matter, the real rankings, Georgia 1, Michigan 2, Bama 3, Cincinnati 4, Oklahoma State 5, and Notre Dame 6. We're kicking out Ohio State, and uh, I didn't even send the vote. Ohio State and Oklahoma are out. I mean, like, we're not talking about you. So we're down to six real teams on our shadow rankings and Shahan, our shadow rankings continue to be more favorable towards Cincinnati. Cause you and I continue to have them second in our ratings. So the real rankings, Georgia one, we agreed. We had Cincinnati two, Cincinnati's actually four. We had Michigan three, Cincinnati's actually two. We had Oklahoma state four, Oklahoma state's actually five. We had Bama five, Bama's actually three. And then Notre Dame is sixth. We continue to rank Bama lower we continue to rank Cincinnati higher. So we get it. I think anybody listening to this, this is what we do every week. We've always had Cincinnati higher. What about the real rankings mattered? Because I did wonder, again, we projected this a week ago, but the idea that Oklahoma State is ahead of Notre Dame now at five, Notre Dame six, that does matter a little bit, does it not? It does, but I think that if they were behind and beat number nine Baylor this week, it wouldn't matter. 
Um, I do think that one thing that is interesting is you look at those two lost teams, because we will talk about chaos a little bit later. The fact that Ohio State at this point is ranked ahead of the rest of the field when it comes to two lost teams, ahead of Michigan State, ahead of Baylor, ahead of Oregon, ahead of Ole Miss, I do think that down the road that is something that could come into play just because you're talking about uh, you're talking about potentially you know, getting to that point where you're talking about Alabama versus Ohio State versus any one of these other teams. Now, it might not get to that point. It might just be that Notre Dame slides in. And the other thing, too, is that it might just be that Michigan slides in because they would, uh, in in this scenario where they lose potentially, they would potentially be a two-loss team as well. But I do think that uh, that Ohio State remaining at seven, really right on the edge of those one-loss teams is significant. I think Notre Dame from uh, remaining at number six, despite at this point having zero ranked wins after the Wisconsin uh, Wisconsin loss, that's pretty significant. I we talk about brands and all that sort of stuff, and, and they are one loss, right? I mean, they are the lowest ranked one loss team out of the quote unquote power teams, but they have no ranked wins, right? I, I mean, I don't know if other teams that have comparable schedules, comparable strength of schedules, comparable performances even would be in that kind of position, but they are, you know, so if, if a team ahead of them does lose, I think that they have a chance to make the college football playoff. And then I think you look at this sort of bottom, we talk all the time, right? 20 through 25 is kind of like a, a, point where people make their validations right it's where they go in and say uh, it's where the committee comes in and says well where are we going to add people who you know who lost to who who needs to be a quality win we see kentucky come back into the top 25 for the first time all season basically uh, all of a sudden georgia has another ranked win right clemson entered a couple weeks ago all of a sudden georgia has two ranked wins you know and, and so i think at the end of the day like does this stuff matter down the road? I mean, for Georgia, it doesn't really matter. I mean, they, they gained three wins, <laughs> uh, three ranked wins in the past couple of weeks. I don't think it's actually going to matter because I think if they had zero ranked wins, they'd still get into the college football playoff with how dominant they've been. But um, I do think that the way that they've shuffled, shuffled the bottom of that board with Texas A&M, potentially a, a boost for Ole Miss, uh, Arkansas, also kind of a boost for Ole Miss, and then Alabama and all. Um, and then Clemson. I think that those are ones that are pretty interesting as well. Yeah, the SEC, I mean, the, the three lowest ranked Power 5 teams are all SEC teams, which gives SEC, the SEC six teams in the top 25, but it's like Arkansas, Kentucky, Texas A&M. Again, who are you supposed to put there instead? I don't know. It does feel like even if we get chaos, I do think this is going to be determined on the field. Because I think the teams that would emerge from the chaos would be the teams that are creating the chaos this weekend. And we'll get to chaos at the end. I do not think we are going to end up in much of a beauty contest. And there have been beauty contest years. And there there have been clear on-field years. And it's one of those things, again, if you get real chaos – there are going to be teams that got left out in the past that would have been like, oh, my God, we would have definitely gotten in, in this year, right, <laughs> yeah, with all the yeah. stuff that went crazy. But we'll talk about it. And I do think in a weird year, the committee to sort out the chaos would lean on results and would not be looking for people sitting at home like, hey, you thought you were out. And then you watch somebody lose. And now, no, we're going to call on you. It's like, why would you call on them? Take the team that just beat the team you thought was going to win, right? So we'll get to that later. But you had mentioned Ohio State. If Ohio State, that's the team we're talking about. They're the couch team. What's the Who's the couch team that could sneak in? It's Ohio State. And the reason Ohio State's there is because Michigan 
took care of them on Saturday. I did ask our tech subscribers, again, which sometimes tend to be more Ohio-based, what was your reaction to Michigan beating Ohio State? The choices were shocked, a little surprised, or I definitely thought it could happen. 60% said shocked. 24% a little surprised. Only 16% thought it was really possible. I didn't get a sense, Shahan, that a lot of people in college football were talking like, you know what? This could really happen. We even had on one of my other podcasts, you know, talk to a Michigan beat writer last week. And the people who cover Michigan weren't particularly believing that this could happen. Let's quickly do how shocked were you by it. But then we want to get on to briefly what it means for Ohio State. But more importantly, Michigan's the team that's alive. We want to do some Michigan talk here. But what did you think of that result? Yeah, I mean, I would probably if I had to pick between those results, I would have picked shocked because the way that Michigan won is the way that I thought they were going to play. I thought that they were going to be aggressive running the ball. I thought they were going to try to to bowl Ohio State over. And my kind of thought was, well, but Ohio State has these really good players. And, you know, if you're putting them in positions where they have, you know, one-on-ones or whatever else, right, like where you kind of get these matchups, which a lot of the time that's what running games are, right? It's it's trying to get guys into one-on-one matchups where a guy can make a guy miss. And I figure, you know what, when you have players as talented as Ohio State has on defense, in some ways that plays into your hands as opposed to maybe spreading them out and passing the ball, right, which is a little more about reads and getting to the right spot. Um and it just didn't matter, right? I mean, it didn't matter. It, I, Ohio State was soft. They got bowled over really on both sides of the ball in a lot of ways by players who are good. But I mean, you know, not to, not to take it to recruiting, but like this Michigan offensive line should have gotten blown off the ball by the level of talent that Ohio State has on the defensive line. Like they should have, right? They should have. And so the fact that it was physical domination on both sides of the ball again, that, that was real surprising to me. The thing that did happen in the end is the part of Ohio State that you had questions about, the defensive side of the ball, those questions showed up. And a lot of how you thought it was like, well, it's this and this and this. It's like, oh, no, all those things happen. So it was like, all right, you have questions about about Ohio State's defense and you know Michigan can run the ball. And it's like, oh, yeah, that matchup went very badly for Ohio State. And on the opposite side of it, you knew Ohio State had a high-flying offense, but Michigan has – maybe the best defensive player in the country. And they had a new defensive coordinator in Mike McDonald when Ohio State had dropped 62 and 56 on Michigan the previous two times they played. That was a Don Brown defense. That's why Don Brown is no longer the defensive coordinator at Michigan. So they brought in a guy that played a lot more zone. They didn't try to get matched up and speed stuff. They even late in the game, Ohio State, they scored two touchdowns drives to kind of hang around. One of them was a 17-play drive. Another one, I think it was like an 11-play drive. It took 11 minutes off the clock. They didn't give up the quick strike stuff that Ohio State kills people with. And so it was like, oh, well, you attack Ohio State's defensive vulnerabilities, and then you send the best pass rusher in the country to disrupt Ohio State's offense and play a much better scheme. And it looks like that, plus it snowed. And it's like all the things were in place for Michigan. And I do think in a world where Oklahoma – just lost its coach. Clemson, as a result, might lose its defensive coordinator. I do think Ohio State, again, as we talk a little bit about the teams that have dominated the playoff, I do think Ohio State is going to bring in an outside defensive coordinator. You can say they need their defensive Ryan Day, who came from the NFL with college experience when he was hired as Ohio State's offensive coordinator. Or you can just say Ohio State needs its own Mike McDonald, 
that Jim Harbaugh went and hired a guy from the NFL, from the Baltimore Ravens. And Ryan Day has to be looking at that and saying, that's what I want. So they have to go do something, Shahan, don't they? Yeah, I agree. Uh, and if Notre Dame makes the wrong choice here, uh, there might be a very easy solution to this uh, with the defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman, the former Ohio State player coming back to Ohio State. I expect he's going to get a head coaching job, whether it's uh, whether it's at Notre Dame or at Cincinnati or really anywhere else. I mean, it, somebody would be dumb not to hire him as a head coach right now, especially in this cycle. But uh, no, I mean, I, I do think that they need that. Um, it feels like, because we heard so much, right, all year long, and not to take this into an Ohio State place where I'm a little out of my depth relative to some of the listeners, but like, you know, we heard all year long about like, this one high look, right? That's what you've been talking about all year long. And that really wasn't the issue, right? It was getting beat up front. That That's something that should not happen. And when you're in a position where you have all this athletic talent on the outside and teams are still able to take it to you up front, that's a real issue. I, I don't even think that's a scheme thing, right? That's more of just a a development and physicality type thing. And that that's something that's much bigger picture than getting beaten by a certain look or getting getting beaten by some explosive plays. So no, I think that they do need to bring in somebody uh somebody from the outside. I, I did mention, I mean, I wrote a, a similar column uh, at CBS Sports where I did kind of say Urban Meyer, when he dealt with that, brought in Ryan Day. And now Ryan Day, I think, needs to bring in his defensive version of Ryan Day in a lot of ways. So, um, But it, it was surprising. I mean, I, I definitely didn't expect it to happen like this. But the other thing that I'll say about this, too, you know, and this is a self-serving comment by me because I've been beating the drum all year long, is like, I would love to see this Ohio State team versus Cincinnati. Because the idea that a team is not talented enough to be able to beat Ohio State or Georgia or Alabama or whoever else this year I think just isn't true. No, I think that's right. I mean, I think you think about a veteran quarterback, you think about some of the defensive playmakers on Cincinnati's side of the ball. Aiden Hutchinson's special, but yeah. And David Ojabo, for sure. And David Ojabo and and Josh Ross, who made a huge stop uh, at the beginning of the second half on a third and two running play. He was only third team all Big Ten at linebacker. I think there's some good linebackers in the Big Ten. I would have voted him higher than that. They had some playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. The one thing I'll, I'll push back on a little bit is. Aiden Hutchinson is rare, and there is, I think, in some circles, like an Ohio State toughness conversation percolating, and that offensive line was good all year. I mean, that offensive line has a bunch of five stars on it. It has a four-year starter at left guard. It has a 380-pound freak at right tackle that I think it's mostly that Aiden Hutchinson is tremendous. And I think you, they had false starts that I think is Aiden Hutchinson in their head. He beat them inside, was then sent David Ojabo to beat them outside. Aiden Hutchinson dominated that game, not just physically, but mentally. He got in the mind of the Ohio State offensive line. I don't think it's like a long-term issue. And it's one of those things. Ohio State is now building itself to try to beat Clemson and Alabama and Oklahoma on the national stage. And sometimes that means that it, you're not as prepared as you were in the old days to go win in the snow in Michigan in late November. But my question is, well, should Ohio State go back to running the ball 20 times a game with its quarterback like JT Barrett? Because in the end, they're trying to beat Trevor Lawrence. They're trying to beat Mac Jones. And so you've got to kind of play like them. And then you watch Michigan do that. And there might be a part of some people who say, oh, man, that's it. And it's like, okay, well, really? Not to dis discard Michigan at all, because we're going to talk about Michigan right now, but which offense would you rather take against out into the world? Into Georgia. <laughs> into Georgia. So 
Ohio State needs to make adjustments defensively with their scheme. They need to raise their talent level on defense. They're a little bit of a talent dip due to recruiting that they should change that. And then I don't think they need a fundamental rethinking of how they play offense. But in that game, as much as people are putting on the defense, I think a, a decent amount of the blame is on the offense too because that offense went three and out to start the game. It went punt, punt to start the second half. Michigan scored touchdowns on its final five possessions. And so Ohio State had to try to keep up. But when they were in that mode of, listen, it's 14-13 at the half. Ohio State starts the second half with the ball. They go three and out. That's that moment for that offense to say, here we go. Put it on our back. Let's go. And it, and they didn't. And that's on Ryan Day. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, and let's change the conversation to Michigan now, since like you mentioned, they're the team, obviously, that uh, is in the conversation now. I think uh, Michigan is a very talented team, but they are they're not in that super tier, right? But I think that the thing that we've talked about a little before, we talked about it and it didn't come to fruition this year, but with Iowa State is like, when you have guys that are special at different levels of the field and enough kind of solid guys around them who do their jobs very well, that's how you compensate, right? That's how you compensate for not having superstars at every single position. And that's something that we really got to see with Michigan was, you know, defensively they do have two superstars on that defensive line with those pass rushers but they're, you know, at the other levels of the field they're talking one to two kind of really special guys NFL type guys and on the offensive side of the ball I think it's a similar sort of deal now the other thing that I'll mention too with Michigan is that you kind of see the difference the the differences that you can make uh when running the ball right because there's multiple types of running the ball a lot of the time when people want to go like sort of this uh this three yards in a cloud of dust stuff right you're just running a lot of men blocking schemes or a lot of inside zone and at some point, you can't do that against teams that are physically comparable with you, right? And and that's something that we saw, and Alabama kind of tried to do that and tried to be just better than everybody else, of course. Um, and they kind of left themselves open at times to not being able to score quickly against teams that could score quickly even against them. With Michigan, you know, I, I think that they did a really good job of showing off some of their more versatile run schemes. They were going to the corner. They were, you know, misdirecting. They were running counter. They were running just a lot of different ways. And I think that Ohio State wasn't always ready for that because a lot of Big Ten teams kind of just come right at you and, and dare you to keep up. And it's a different kind of deal when a team is daring you to stop them, which Ohio State can do, versus when they're saying, Oh, go over here. Wait, no, I'm over here. Right. Like I, I think that they did a really nice job with misdirection. Something that, uh, that I think that, uh, Josh Gaddis did a really nice job of was sort of setting up run plays with other plays, right? Where you kind of have a, have a play earlier in the game that sets up something else where you run the counter of it. I, I think he, they did a really nice job of keeping them on their toes. I know that they've had this game circled all year long. I know that they've had this game circled for the last 10 years since they won the last one. And I think they did a really nice job of taking advantage at times of Ohio State's youth and inexperience and sometimes issues reading what's in front of them. Um, and even though it was sort of running them over, it was not the same kind of running them over type game that you saw maybe three years ago. You could see their first drive of the second half. They had a nice wide run for like 11 yards to start it. And then they ran Blake Corum inside. You go back and watch that play. They have eight guys blocking eight guys. That's eight. They have two guards that pull. They have receivers blocking and knocking defensive backs on their butts. They have eight guys blocking eight guys. It is precision offensive football and it allows it makes it Blake Corm against the safety and Blake Corm wins but they had a, they had a play that scored a touchdown where they've ran a fake bubble screen 
inside handoff to a jet sweep receiver who went the other way with two two pulling blockers. That again, they had the defense thinking one way and then going another. So now Michigan takes that out into the world, right? It's going to be interesting against Iowa. We'll get to that game a little bit, but let's let's presume for this discussion, Michigan wins and Michigan's in the playoff. It is interesting to me where I was first and foremost, but not the only one talking about this matchup, eventual matchup we all wanted to see, not all. Many people wanted to see Georgia defense, Ohio State offense. We're heading towards a possibility of a playoff with four teams that don't really throw the f- the football. That like Desmond Ritter can throw it. Desmond Ritter is probably going to wind up being the best quarterback in the playoff. Cincinnati would have the most dynamic offense uh, passing the ball in the college football playoff, and that is insane. But that's a defense-first coach. That's a defense-heavy team. Oklahoma State is a defense-first team. Michigan is rejuvenated by this defensive play caller with the best defensive player in the country and a very specific offensive attack. And then Georgia's got Stetson Bennett and 10 five-stars on defense. We may wind up in a world where this Georgia defense does ne- never gets tested by a Kyler Murray, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Joe Burrow kind of passing game that we are going to end up in a world with people talking about, oh, man, one of the best defenses I ever saw was that Georgia. And we're going to get into who Georgia's played. But let's on Michigan. Can Michigan take that game plan out into the world? Can Michigan win a semifinal doing what it did to Ohio State? Could Michigan win a national championship? with a controlled running game against this Georgia defense and then letting Aiden Hutchinson get after it against a quarterback who is not a world beater is could this put this plan for Michigan worked on the last Saturday in November outside in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Could it work in the playoff? This is a really difficult playoff for them because you have three other teams that are built to stop this, right? That are built to compete with you up front, uh, that come at you from different angles. All better defenses than Ohio State. Yes, substantially. I mean, these are four of the best defenses in the country. And uh, I, I hope that people get a chance to watch o- Oklahoma State this weekend. They are so disciplined. They they are always in the right place. It feels like they're playing with 15 guys on the field. Like that, that's just what kind of defense they are, right? So they're not going to get misdirected. They're not going to lose their assignments. They're not going to forget where they're supposed to be, right? And with Georgia, it's even more so, right? Georgia might be one of the greatest defenses that we've ever seen in college football. Uh, and that leaves Cincinnati, who, by the way, also one of the best teams that you have in college football. Now, I do think that... I do think that Cincinnati's a slightly better matchup for Michigan than these other two teams because their strength is really the pass defense, right? I mean, they've got the best cornerback duo in America. They have great players on the defensive line, like really, really great players. Uh, but I do think that they're a little more vulnerable to a misdirection type running game than those other two teams. But even then, I mean, the flip side of that is that they also have the most mobile quarterback of the bunch and some really good receivers. So like, I, I think that it's a tough matchup. You mentioned, right? Ohio State is built to play against Alabama and Clemson. It's not built to play against Minnesota or against Michigan, right? That's not what they're built to do. You kind of get to a point where you transcend the Big Ten in some ways, and Michigan's a very Big Ten team. So I, it's a tough matchup. I'm not saying that they can't do it. It's just, it's just going to be that all of these teams, I think, 
play to each other's weaknesses in a lot of ways. And so all these games could end up being 10-7 ball games. Please don't tell ESPN executives <laughs> that they will they will have a terrible Christmas. Okay. Let's it's a great win for Michigan and it is Listen, the college stuff, the coaching stuff right now is nuts. And and I'm as guilty as anybody on fire this guy, fire that guy, bring in this guy. He stinks, whatever. That Michigan hung on to Jim Harbaugh. Yes. Forced, encouraged, stood by and watched, whatever, while he reshaped his staff. They reshaped the staff. And in a world where everybody's flying all over the place, that you let Jim Harbaugh get to year seven and that this is the result is Michigan should feel very good about its place in the college football landscape. And can you win a national title plan like this? It's like, what happens if you don't have Aiden Hutchinson? It's like, I don't know. They have Aiden Hutchinson right now. Is it a (laughs) long-term plan? Well, they have a five-star quarterback who's only working in right now. So when J.J. McCarthy is a starter down the line, they'll probably throw a little bit better. Also, their best receiver got hurt at the beginning of the year. So they're not as dynamic on the outside as they have been in some past years. So they took what they had. And right now they have three really good tailbacks because Donovan Edwards, the true freshman, is the third one of those with Blake Corman and Hassan Haskins. Again, their offensive line, this is not quite a Jake Long offensive line with a bunch, but they played really well. And you have a couple defensive stars. So credit to Michigan for patience, for winning with what you have, and for leaning in to what works, and then go take your shot. And it just might happen that they might wind up in a semifinal against a Cincinnati team where Michigan will be favored. So that would be a heck of a thing for the Wolverines. And this is something that I've mentioned before. Judge this playoff and judge this year for what's going on this year. I think there are going to be a lot of people who are like, well, could this Michigan team beat Joe Burrow? Well, that's not what they're being asked to do. Right. They're being asked to go out and beat the teams that are playing this Cincinnati team. Could they hang with 2020 Alabama? Who cares? That's not what they're being asked to do. They're being asked to play the teams that are on their schedule. They're being asked to play the four teams that we have in college football this year. And for a variety of reasons, and I think it might be fun to get into some of those reasons that during the offseason, this has been a year filled with a lot of mayhem, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But these are the teams that have fought through. All of them have quality wins at this point. It's not a fluke, right? They've played the other good teams in the country. Michigan went and beat Ohio State. Uh, you know, Alabama's going to lose to Georgia. It's going to be proven on the field. But uh, but I caution people, don't compare this or, you know, hold these teams to the standard of yesteryear because all we have is this year, and these teams have gone and beaten the teams that they're supposed to beat. Surviving mayhem is an admirable quality. And it is not one that should be overlooked in this college football season. We'll be back to talk Georgia-Alabama next on the College Football Survivor Show. In case you missed the last College Football Survivor Show. Like, if Notre Dame doesn't promote Marcus Freeman, Marcus Freeman's going to be a Power 5 head coach in, like, two years. Why wouldn't you do it now? Roll the dice. Don't be afraid of it. You can't hire the guy down the hall. But when the guy down the hall is special... I would seize the moment. If this is a place where he wants to be, then do it. Promote him. I don't care that he's 35. I don't care that he's only been here for, you know, a year, whatever it is. If Marcus Freeman's special, and by every indication, it sure seems like he is. Yeah, why not? Just do it. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. All right, Doug and Shaham, we want to dive into the games that matter this weekend, the conference championship games. There are really only four that matter for the playoff because the Pac-12 championship between Oregon and Utah doesn't matter and the ACC championship 
between Coastal Carolina and Liberty doesn't matter. I don't even know who's in that game. Who's in the ACC championship game? The the AAC? Duquesne. Is Duquesne in it? Uh, which which one are you talking about? I can't remember. The one that Clemson usually wins. <laughs> okay. Is UMass? I think UMass is in that one. I, I, yeah, no, no. It's uh, it's the fighting demon deacons of Wake Forest. Come on. Not, we, not have familiar. you already forgotten about them? They were in our conversation just a minute ago. I and, don't uh, And, you know, the Heisman caliber uh, should win quarterback. I don't know if I believe that. But Kenny Pickett's. Unfamiliar. So they're doing that. So those two conference championship games don't matter. But you've got Michigan-Iowa, where Michigan has to win to get in. You've got Cincinnati-Houston in the American, where Cincinnati has to win to get in. You've got Oklahoma State-Baylor, where both teams are alive. And frankly, Iowa's still alive, too, in a super chaotic world. And then you've got Georgia-Alabama, where that SEC championship game is going to decide whether one or two teams get in from the SEC. So let's do georgia Alabama right now. I did ask the tech subscribers, if you want to be part of that, you get to do little surveys, 817-442-6789. 817-442-6789. It's a dollar a month. What do you think Alabama's chances of beating Georgia are? These were the choices I gave, Sean. No chance. Eh, small chance. Some chance. Or you know, pretty good chance, about 50-50. What would you have voted for, Sean? I'd probably go some chance. I don't think it's impossible. I mean, something I think to point out is that Georgia hasn't beaten a team this season higher than number 20 in the rankings. And we talked about it. Three of those teams were outside of the rankings when the rankings started. So like, it's not like Georgia's a super battle, battle tested team, right? But I just think that they're a really tough matchup for Alabama. And anytime that Alabama's dealt with a defense that has a pulse, it's been a real struggle for them. So you said some chance. That was second at 36%. I'm always curious about uh, the wide ranges, the two ends of any survey. Where are they? Pretty good chance, which is the most positive for Alabama. Blew away, no chance. So 17%, pretty good chance. No chance, only 2%. So the winner was small chance, 45%. Some chance, 36%. That, But that generally, that's a pretty decent number of people who think this could be a game. And I do wonder if there's anything instructive about the Ohio State-Michigan game when it applies to Georgia-Alabama. And I mean that by Georgia has the best defense in the country. Ohio State has the best offense in the country. And it's like, well, statistically, yes. Also eyeballs, yes. Also talent, yes. But there are some yeah buts that you can throw in there. And so that Ohio State offense is like, well, yeah, but who they really played. And as much as Ohio State's defense was a was an issue against Michigan, the offense was as well. Can you yeah, but this Georgia defense at all? Because I ran through a list of the quarterbacks they have faced this year from the Power Five Conference teams. DJ Uyunglele from Clemson threw for 178. Luke Doty from South Carolina threw for 153. Uh, some guy from Vandy was three of nine for 16 yards. I shouldn't include Vandy in Power 5 conversation. <laughs> though, that's my bad. KJ Jefferson from Arkansas, who might be the best quarterback they've played. Eight of 13 for 65 against them. Bo Nix from Auburn, who's like kind of the Bo Nix show. It's unfortunate that he wasn't able to play against Alabama. The fact that Auburn almost beat Alabama with their backup quarterback is pretty nuts. Bo Nix was 21 of 38 for 217, so did a little something. Will Levis from Kentucky threw it 42 times for 192. Um, Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson from Florida combined 22 of 34 for 194. 
couple Missouri guys threw for 152. Hendon Hooker from Tennessee, who might be the other best quarterback they faced. He's definitely the best guy that they played, in my opinion. 24 of 37 for 244. And then Jordan Yates from Georgia Tech, 14 of 20 for 255. But that game was over before it started. So when you look at that, and then you consider the Georgia defense is first in the nation at 4.9 yards per attempt allowed. That is minuscule. Like a normal game, a quarterback will have like maybe seven or eight yards per attempt as an average. Really good games for quarterbacks. They might have 10 yards per attempt. The idea that all year they're giving up less than five yards per attempt on their passes is crazy. The second best defense in the country is 5.4 yards per attempt. So they're a half yard better per attempt over a 12-game season. When there's 25 attempts in a game, they're a half yard better per attempt than any pass defense in the country. They've only given up five passing touchdowns the whole year against 12 interceptions. They have the lowest QB rating against in the country, and they've allowed 56% of the passes against them to be completed. That is awesome. But Bryce Young, you say Hendon Hooker is by is definitely the best quarterback they faced. Well, Hendon Hooker is whatever, how many tiers below Bryce Young. So you can say, hey, you said previously, hey, when Alabama's faced a good defense, that Alabama offense has had some problems. But you can also say Georgia ain't seen Bryce Young, man. Not close. Is, is that where the Bama chance comes in? Or where let's talk about Bryce Young against this Georgia defense first. Just, you know, John Mechie, Jamison Williams, a couple good running backs. Like, is there enough there to wonder if the Alabama could do something? So I think so. I, they have not faced anything close to, to Bryce Young at all, not even in the same stratosphere. But the thing that does give me pause about Alabama specifically is that. They've looked pretty bad offensively against defenses that are worse than Georgia. I mean, I, you just have to look at that Auburn game last week, right? Auburn's a good defense, but not like that. And heading into the fourth quarter, Alabama had zero points. They had zero points against that Auburn defense. And Auburn is a good defense, but they are not that. They are not holding teams to zero points entering the fourth quarter. And the other thing about it is that the way that Auburn did it, is a way that is totally transferable to what, uh, to what Georgia's gonna do against them. Because they, the thing that you say about Georgia is that against any team in the country, Alabama, Ohio State, anybody else, they can stop the run with a light box. They can do it against anybody. It does not matter, right? And and that's scary. to be fair. To be fair, any box that Jordan Davis is in, I'm not sure can be characterized <laughs> as a light box. Well, that's only like what 15 percent of their boxes at this point. They they hardly ever play him. He it doesn't even play for them. I've never seen him before. But <laughs> he's just on the Heisman billboards. <laughs> but no, seriously. I mean, that's the biggest thing about them, right? Is that so much of their success is predicated on the fact that you're going to face second and long. You just are. That's just part of the game. And you see Alabama last week. Now, to be fair, Brian Robinson was a little banged up. They've actually been pretty banged up in general at running back, but they go 37 carries for 71 yards. Now, 11 of those are for negative 23 yards by, by Bryce Young, but 16 for 71 isn't exactly setting the world on fire either by Brian Robinson. So I, I think that George is going to be able to hold Alabama to like 
15 rushing yards. <laughs> like, I think it could potentially be that level. And so it becomes, okay, if you're Alabama, Bryce Young, I, I'm a believer now, right? I, I think he is legitimately that guy. I think he has a legitimate case of not just being like a really good Alabama quarterback, but of being maybe one of the best quarterbacks, like top five in the country, right? I think he is that. But that said, that means that you're in a position where you have him and a receiver group that is fine. Jameson Williams is a really good player. John Mechie has not been as good as I think we hoped this year. And then like their third receiving guy is the tight end, Cameron Law too. They've got Slade Bolden, who's okay. Like if, if this, if this is Bryce Young playing with Ohio State's receivers, then it's like, oh, maybe they blow a couple of assignments. I, I just don't see that happening in a game where you are legitimately in a position where uh where you are legitimately in a position where your receivers might not be good enough to win those those battles anyway if you can create favorable situations. So I like it's funny, right? Like you almost start like piecing together what does an ideal offense look like that could go against this Georgia defense? Because I mean if, if it's uh if it's like Trevor Lawrence in 2018 with, you know, with the receivers that they had back then. I think that this is a different story, but again, they're not playing that team. They're playing this year's Alabama. And I, I just don't think that this year's Alabama is complete enough on the offensive side to be able to do it. No, no, that offense scored 27 against Michigan. So like right. that offense went home. So, right. <laughs> right. but that you could threaten like, even like, you know, or you get like, you know, Clemson, old Clemson running back, Travis Etienne, you get a running back out of the backfield. So you're not trying to just slam your run game into that defensive line all day, but you have to have, I mean, certainly a mobile quarterback would help. I mean, I guess a great defense, broken plays always help. So you'd want to look, I mean, Kyler Murray, it's like, let's piece together the offense <laughs> right. that you, it's like, okay, Kyler Murray, Travis Etienne, Garrett Wilson, and Jamar Chase. Let's get them. Can we call the four of them up <laughs> and ask if they'll go play Georgia in the national title game and we can have some fun with this thing? If we're playing against 2019 LSU, then like, oh, okay. I think that maybe that offense can do some stuff, but like they're busy getting paid a lot. No, right. They're busy dominating the NFL. <laughs> it is. It's like, is Georgia the best defense ever? I don't know. We're going to go ask the best offense ever if they can go play them so we can get a real test of Georgia. <laughs> okay. So we don't think Bama was going to, is going to go out and hang 40. On this Georgia no. defense. No, 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 no. So then the question is, listen, it's Nick Saban, right? If you want to start talking about defensive Heisman candidacies, and again, in a world where I was saying after the Ohio State loss, like, well, there goes C.J. Stroud's Heisman candidacy. And it's like, what if Bryce Young is awful against Georgia? And then it's like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like... <laughs> The Heisman winner in a year like this probably should be playing this weekend, which might lead you back to Pitt quarterback Kenny Pickett. But if you want to make a defensive case, right? Aiden Hutchinson, if you want to try to make a defensive case, pick your your Georgia defender, probably either Jordan Davis or N'Kobe Dean. Could they make a defensive case? But people want to make a defensive case for Will Anderson from Alabama who has 4 million tackles for loss this season. Alabama, again, it's not the Georgia defense, but I'm looking at the football efficiency metrics from football outsiders. Georgia's one, Alabama's seven. Is that where this comes down? That when you think about Georgia played a Clemson defense in week one that is currently like ranked fifth 
in that football outsiders metric. These are the three defenses that before the season, Shaham, we talked about when we were ranking the best defenses from playoff contenders. It was Bama, Georgia, Clemson. How do you rank them? I don't know. Everybody in the world would have Georgia one right now. But Bama against Stetson Bennett, against a receiving core that maybe isn't still 100% healthy. You let Will Anderson go. You dial up some of Nick Saban's magic. Does Bama have a better chance to try to win this thing 16-13? I think so, for sure, for sure. Um, Georgia's offensive line is great, like it always is. Uh, I think that Brock Bowers is maybe the best player nobody's talking about at tight end. I mean, he he might be the best tight end in the country. But, like, this isn't a special offense by any means, right? I mean, they have basically decided, okay – we're going to run the ball over you. Like what, like I was talking about earlier, right? What Michigan's not doing anymore is what George is doing because nobody can stop him, right? I mean, if nobody can stop you, why stop doing something, right? The thing that's interesting about this game is that <laughs> it goes back to that, uh, to that Alabama team, right? Where it's like, okay, you've got this extreme game manager in Jalen Hurts at the time, but you got that kid Tua on the bench and We've been waiting all year long for them to finally make the switch and go to JT Daniels, a quarterback who can do things with his arm and his legs and throw the ball down the field. They even brought back George Pickens last weekend for the first time and got him some snaps, who was their best receiver heading into the year. Right. Like that, that's the other part of this too, is that it feels like there's like that aspect that they're just not revealing at this point. But I think that that's also a thing where it's like, maybe they're just saving it. Right. Maybe they're saving it for if they actually need it. And they clearly have not actually needed it to this point. So I, I think that if Alabama wins the game, it's going to be a low scoring game. It's going to be a game where Bryce Young basically runs the air raid and runs a bunch of mesh and throws four yard passes to try to hold on to the ball. And Alabama tries to suffocate that Georgia run game and force Stetson Bennett to throw the ball. Cause I think that's favorable for them. I, I don't know if there's a scenario where Alabama can like run up the score to the point where Georgia has to struggle and get behind schedule. I do think I always thought when I would think about a world where Ohio State's offense would face up against Georgia's defense, I thought you had to try to go over Georgia, right? I I don't know that anybody can consistently try to go through Georgia. So I thought, okay, you get Chris Olave, you get Garrett Wilson on that field and try to go over him. Nobody's gone over or at times through with speed people like Jamison Williams this year. He has seven catches this year of 50 yards or longer. That's tied for the most in the nation. He has five of those or 60 yards or longer. Again, that's tied for the most in the nation. Like in a world where you're trying to win in the teens and one 71-yard Jamison Williams touchdown feels like it's worth three touchdowns, One of my partners on my other podcast, Nathan Baird, made the point with Ohio State's offense all year that part of Ohio State's success on offense was they never faced an opposing offense that could score and put pressure on the Ohio State offense. Then Michigan scores five straight touchdowns to end the game, and suddenly that great Ohio State offense is in a position where, like, man, if you punt, it's doomsday. Georgia, in facing great defenses, they faced Clemson, who's ranked number four in Football Outsiders, They faced Arkansas, who's number 16, Auburn, who's number 17, Florida's number 15. So that's three more in the top 20. But they faced some bad defenses, too. If Alabama can hang, right, and, like, prevent – how do I say this? So 
The no offenses could put pressure on Ohio State's offense. If Alabama's defense can put pressure on Georgia's defense by Alabama stopping Stetson Bennett, and you get into a game that's a little bit like the 10 3 game that Georgia won early in the year. But it's like, listen, man, you're the great Georgia defense, but you better not give up anything. Somebody better not slip in the secondary. You better not blitz Bryce Young and have a sack and let him escape and throw it. You better not miss a tackle on the second level or you're in trouble because that could be it. One defensive mistake. Could it be that that defense tightens up a little bit and then that what plays into it, if it is a close game for any extended period of time, do you think anything exists with the Nick Saban looming over the entire SEC, Nick Saban and assistants? Now, he lost to Jimbo, so he's lost to an assistant now. But is there anything emotionally, mentally for Georgia that even though they've been the best team in the country from week one, that they would – not that they would feel intimidated by Alabama, but that if Alabama keeps it close for a while, Georgia would start to feel some pressure. Well, the funny thing about it, right, is that – you look back at that Georgia Clemson game and you're like, oh, this was a matchup of a very good team against a not very good team, right? And so the way that they game planned for that game in a lot of ways was, we're, this is the toughest t- test we're ever going to face. We need to hold on to this game for dear life and we need to not give up anything and we need to, you know, all, and that was a bad strategy, right? If they had gone into that game and kind of tried to push it a little bit, I wonder if it turns out different. Now, Clemson has suffered injuries on the defensive side of the ball, notably Brian Brisset, who's been out for a while at this point. So it was even better at that point. I mean, the funny thing is, people forget about that game. The difference in that game wasn't that Georgia pulled away. It's that Christopher Smith picked off DJ Uyunglele and took it back for a pick six. That was the only difference in that football game. So if you're Alabama, you know that the quarterback that you have is better than DJU, right? Bryce Young is legitimately what we thought he was going to be we didn't know it in week one we didn't know it in week one people thought dj was going to win the heisman but we know it now and it turns out that if you thought wow georgia shut down one of the best quarterbacks in the country it's like no dj just wasn't very good all year (laughs) right right and so and and i do think that the the alabama receiving core is not special but it is significantly better than Clemson's. So you are in a position, and the funny thing about it, I mentioned Alabama's going to have 15 rushing yards. Clemson had two total rushing yards against Georgia, and we're still a pick six away from being in that football game, right? So I do think that that's the path. Now, the flip side of that is that I think Brock Bowers can break off a play. I think that Zamir White can break off a play. I, I don't think that Alabama's defense is as consistently special at every level as Clemson's defense, especially in that first game of the year. So I don't know if they're going to be able to hold Georgia to, you know, all these punts. I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I do think that Alabama has a shot to do that. And that's probably their best chance of doing that. And I don't know if this factors in at all, but. Georgia's in the playoff regardless. They're playing to be the one seed or like the three or four seed. Alabama's playing for its life. But then what does that mean? Does that mean Georgia's relaxed and they can go do their thing and they know they get a second chance if it doesn't go well? Does it mean Alabama's more motivated because it's do or die? Alabama, I always love Alabama. Every coach in America wants to be an underdog every game. They act (laughs) like they're underdogs. Yeah. They all act – Urban Meyer acted like an underdog every week. It's like, dude, you're playing Rutgers. You're favored by 60. You're not an underdog. <laughs> Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, they all want to be underdogs. 
Alabama is an underdog for the first time since they played Georgia like five years ago. So it's like, are you, it's like you want to bet against Nick Saban as an underdog? <laughs> no, I don't want to bet my money on it, but I don't, I don't know how that factors in because it is an odd situation that it's, that Georgia's okay either way. So maybe that'll keep them from freaking out. I will say, I, I will push back against that because Georgia has not beaten Alabama while Kirby Smart is the head coach. This is not a situation where this is more comparable, for example, to like if Ohio State and Michigan were both already guaranteed a spot in the conference championship game. Well, like Michigan still wants to beat Ohio State, right? Like they desperately want to do it because they've never done it. Kirby Smart has never beaten Nick Saban ever. And finally, for the first time this year, after all those years, uh, a former Saban assistant has beaten Nick Saban. So, so then my question, but then is that good for Kirby or bad for Kirby? That makes Kirby motivated or tight? Oh, I think he's motivated. I think that because he's never beaten him. It, when you have somebody in front of him, when, when you have a roadblock in front of you, you don't want to find ways around it, right? You want to prove that you can break through it. I, I don't think that you want to, I, I don't think that you want to just try and get by with the skin of your teeth. Cause the other thing too, by the way, is that if that were to happen, because you mentioned, okay, potentially having a rematch, saving things for a rematch, for example. Well, if you beat them, you don't have to do that, right? You don't have to prepare. And so no, I know, but how does, so you said, you said it like this. Kirby's never beaten Nick Saban, but I could say it like this. Kirby's never beaten Nick Saban. So what, but like, but you think it's a plus because Kirby Smart has the better team. Let Saban be the underdog. Great. Kirby will have them motivated to go take care of business. He is not going to overlook Nick Saban. Oh, no, no, not overlook. I might like be scared to death. Okay. I I mean, I think that's a different conversation, right? But, but there's not going to be a scenario where they don't feel like they need to win this game because they're in anyway. There's no scenario where that No, happens. the only scenario, I was saying like, will they, will it relax them? The idea that they know they don't have to win the game, which will let them to go out and play their best. It's just, it's just one of these things. Like, do you think, who do you think the intangible part of this? Eh, we're making this up. What do we know? <laughs> the intangible part, who has the intangibles? Underdog Nick Saban or motivated, I have the best team, let's let it lose Kirby Smart. Who would you give the intangible edge to? I, I think that the intangible edge goes to, to Alabama because they're Alabama, because they know that they've been here before, because a lot of players on that team were on the same team last year that went to won the national championship because Georgia has never beaten Alabama. And it, until they beat Alabama, they're going to look across and see those Crimson Tide buses uh, and seeing players get off and be like, oh my gosh, that's Alabama. Until that happens, yes, I do think that Alabama has the intangible edge and while like i don't think bama should be in the playoff if they lose no 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 no, no, no. this might be the national championship for georgia because bama might be better than oklahoma state cincinnati and michigan and if georgia beats these guys the rest might feel kind of easy well and the other thing too is that if if alabama with this team that's not good (laughs) my that freaking Auburn game, right? They they should have lost that game. They should have lost potentially other games along the way. They played Florida, who ended up firing their coach within two points. Like, this is one of the worst Alabama teams that we've seen in a long time because it's a rebuilding year, right? Because you have a first-year quarterback, because you've got some first-year linemen. Not because they're regressing by any means, but just because you have some turnover. This is why we said and why I said before the year, I felt like Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and Georgia, this had to be one of their year because there are so many changes uh, across at Alabama. But so... If the worst Bama team beats the best Georgia team, even if Georgia still makes the playoff, then you're mentally fried. It's over. Like, 
I'm not saying that you can't win the title, but like that is a that is a psychological defeat that is very hard, I think, for a team to get over. But if you're betting on this, if you're betting on Bama in this situation, you're betting on Saban. And you're betting on like mentally fried Kirby Smart. Because I do think enough of the football stuff. I agree. Alabama is not good, but yet they're still Alabama. They still have a lot of talented players and they have the best coach ever. And it's like, that's a pretty good place to start. Actually, actually, I take that back. They don't have more talented players than Georgia. Alabama almost always has the most talented number of players. And, and this year, that is not true with Georgia. But they still do have Nick Saban. And, and we talked about this a little bit with, uh, with Penn State versus Michigan when they play Ohio State, right? Where, like, Penn State is a worse team almost every year than Michigan is. But they don't play scared when they play Ohio State. For so many years, Michigan played scared. They they had this streak at the front of their minds. They had all this sort of stuff, right? And so we're going to learn about this Georgia team if they are able to play free, if they are able to play fearless, because we haven't seen them have to do it, uh, you know, other than that Clemson game where they were a little tight. This was their first game as a real favorite. It was their, kind of their introduction to the national stage. So we're going to learn a lot, I think, about this Georgia team in terms of whether they are a team that's really good that has a shot to win a national championship, or if they come out and they beat the brakes off of Alabama, which is something I think they're capable of doing. I think that we learn, okay, this, this team is going to win the national championship. Kirby, give Harbs a call, man. I'll give you a little pep talk (laughs) about how to take down the monster. But I do think, I mean, again, if you're lining up why Michigan beat Ohio state, you start with Aiden Hutchinson, you start with the play that offensive line, you start with Mike McDonald, but I do think not playing for the pandemic for a year, revamping that coaching staff. Michigan leaned into the rivalry finally. Michigan tore down the intangibles barrier that allowed the football to take care of business. Kirby Smart has to tear down the, we can't can't beat Nick Saban stuff. And if they can get past that, the football will take over. And Georgia's better at football this year. We didn't know for sure that Michigan was better at Ohio State at football, but Michigan on that Saturday was. But I think you had to make sure the intangibles weren't a barrier. Yeah. No, no question. And I will say, how cool would it be if the playoff is a group of five team who clearly earned their way there, Georgia after getting over the Alabama hump, Michigan over getting over the Ohio State hump, and Oklahoma State getting over the Oklahoma hump. I mean, that would be, that would just be insane to think that all of those streaks could have potentially ended in the same year. And with that, we'll take our last break on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Shahan, I think that's a great point because we're talking about how did it change? It changed because Oklahoma State, Michigan, and Georgia beat three of the regulars. That's how stuff should change, and that that's fantastic. And then Clemson's bad year left an opening that Cincinnati eagerly jumped into. It, it would be great. So let's talk about chaos, but let's talk about the chances of getting – to the chaos. Let's start with this. I asked our tech subscribers this question. Which team of Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State is most likely to lose on this weekend? The choices, again, Oklahoma State against Baylor, Michigan against Iowa, Georgia against Alabama, or Cincinnati against Houston. Who would you pick most likely to lose, Shahan? That's a really tough question. I think that all four of them are losable games. There, there isn't a team I think that doesn't, that's going to have a shoe in like we see in a lot of years. If I had to pick one, 
I think I'm going to go Oklahoma State against Baylor. Um, it's close. It's really, really close, honestly. Uh, you know, they're playing another top 10 team. They're playing a team that they played earlier in the year uh, in a game that was really ugly, to be honest. And so, you know, and I think that Baylor's improved over the course of the year. I, I think that Oklahoma State is still the better team. I still think they're going to win the football game. But it's different playing in Stillwater versus playing in the Big 12 championship game in Arlington, right? I mean, that's one thing with Oklahoma State is that they have been a tremendous, tremendous home team. And I think that the the way that they got to 11-1 and one, to a large extent was playing so well at home. That's the one factor that I'm curious to see now going to a neutral site. Um, but I, I think that Baylor can compete with Oklahoma State. I think that they have a shot. But the same thing that I'll say, too, is that, I mean, Oklahoma State shut down Baylor's offense. So I'll be curious to see how they kind of respond. Jeff Grimes, a, a finalist for the Broyles Award for the nation's best uh, nation's best assistant coach. Now, I'll be curious to see how they come out differently game plan wise than they did the first game. So that's who our texters pick. Overwhelming. 64% said Oklahoma State most likely to lose. Michigan next at 16, then Georgia at 12%. Cincinnati at 9%. I will tell you the betting lines, Oklahoma State, the smallest favorite, five and a half points, favorite over Baylor. Georgia, six and a half points over Alabama. Michigan, 10 and a half. And Cincinnati, also 10 and a half. I would actually pick Michigan because I think Iowa at times this year, and we were like, we were mad at Iowa because we were like, <laughs> Iowa, I said, Iowa hoodwinked us all. And it's like, oh, Iowa, why would you be scared of Iowa? Because Iowa like fixed itself by beating Nebraska, Illinois, Northwestern, and the dregs of the Big Ten West to finish the season after they lost two in a row. But Iowa's better at defense than Ohio State. And if Michigan, and it's one of these things, handling success is a real thing. Iowa had trouble handling success after they got the number two in the country. Then they disappeared. Now they're kind of back. They backed into a position there in a total nothing-to-lose situation where Michigan's like, oh, my God, we're in the Big Ten championship game for the first time ever. It's been going on for a decade. Michigan's never made it. A playoff is on the line. And they just had the biggest win for Michigan I'm trying to even think. Could you argue it was like the, Michigan's biggest win since they won the national title? Like that, that I, nothing else immediately comes to mind. So, so you know, not that it's not a conference championship game can't be a trap game, but <laughs> between your biggest rival and a looming playoff, it almost is. And I hate trap game cup. I just wonder, like Michigan has to play a good game because Iowa is there enough like Michigan. They want to play defense and run it and have a quarterback who kind of doesn't make mistakes. Michigan is the better version of that. But actually, Michigan's game plan really worked against Ohio State. They just have to be careful because Iowa's not even going to try to throw it. It's like Aiden Hutchinson's going to get the pass. <laughs> They're like, we're going to throw it six times. What are you talking about? And they'll right. triple team Aiden Hutchinson every snap. So I'm that's the, the game that I would pick. It doesn't mean that I think that, but I can see that in my head. So let's make our picks for this real quick. Georgia, Alabama, who do you pick? We don't. We won't worry about the line because the line doesn't matter. We're teams to try to make the playoff. Georgia. I'll take Georgia also. Oklahoma State, Baylor. Who are you taking? I'll take Oklahoma State. Okay, me too. Cincinnati, Houston. Cincinnati. And then Michigan, Iowa. Yeah, Michigan. Okay, so I will pick all those as well. So yeah. that's us saying we picked which one we thought was most likely to lose. We don't think any of them are going to lose. 
Okay. Yeah. But what might the chaos look like? Because people like to talk about chaos. We want to first guess you on this chaos. Cause I think again, last Tuesday, we helped you sort of figure out how this was going to go. I think the most chaotic, because actually if Alabama beats Georgia, it actually is not as chaotic because then you have two spots set. The most chaotic is Georgia wins, right? And everybody else loses. So you have a Georgia win, and then you have Cincinnati lose to Houston, Iowa beat Michigan, and Baylor beat Oklahoma State. So let's deal with the most chaotic scenario. In that scenario, Georgia is the one seed. You are basically dealing with nobody else with one loss other than Notre Dame. And I think Notre Dame is the two seed in that scenario. Whether they deserve it or not, it's where I think the committee goes in that spot. Cincinnati, now here's the thing. Cincinnati also has one loss, and they have beaten Notre Dame head-to-head. So we can get into, if you have the same number of losses and a head-to-head loss, what does that mean? But we've seen the committee shy away from that already with Michigan and Michigan State. And the thing of it is they were proven right. All the grief they got about Michigan, Michigan State, the team that they wanted to rank higher than people thought should have been ranked, then won and beat Ohio State. And they're like, aha, we don't only have to go by head-to-head, you nincompoops, which might embolden them to put in a one-loss Notre Dame over a one-loss Cincinnati. In this scenario, I think it's Georgia and Notre Dame are in. Do you agree with that or no? I don't think they're two. I definitely don't think they're two. Do you think they're in? Do you think they're one of the top four for sure? He's rubbing his eyes, just so you know, everybody in the pocket. He's rubbing it uh, his eyes like he has a migraine. <laughs> I think they are very likely. Again, we have to mention, they have zero ranked wins, right? I mean, they're, Wisconsin lost. Wisconsin looked terrible. They, they kind of looked like what they were, by the way, when they played Notre Dame. We just have to mention Purdue's out of this whole deal. Like, they don't, they don't have any wins. They don't have anything. And uh, it is funny, right, because you mentioned – Cincinnati being in that scenario, a one-loss team, clearly has a better resume than Notre Dame. But Notre Dame is Notre Dame, and so, yes, I expect that they'd be in. I will tell you that there is a world, then, in that scenario where there are 11 two-loss Power 5 teams that you can start picking between. So you agree – so as much as you rubbed your eyeballs and wanted to quit being a podcaster – you say Notre Dame is also in. So now we're picking between, honestly, for the last two spots. Your candidates are one loss Cincinnati and 11 two loss power five teams. So here's, here's the other reason that I'm rubbing my eyes is because this scenario would be crazy, right? Like it would be, we haven't had anything like this in conference championship weekend ever. If this were to happen, what are the chances that this is Georgia, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Alabama? So I will say I don't think those chances are very high because in this world, and let's make it slightly as chaotic, let's give Oregon the win over Utah because Utah in the Pac-12 championship already has three losses. Let's give Oregon – actually, it makes it more chaotic. Let's give Oregon that win because that will keep another two-loss team. You would have 11 two-loss teams, right? Oh my gosh. And, and Alabama and Ohio State would be two of them. But you would also have two-loss Baylor, Big 12 champ, two-loss Iowa, Big 10 champ, two-loss Oregon, Pac-12 champ. So what is compelling us? And Wake Forest, let's give Wake Forest 
All right, our Wake Forester Pitt. Wake Forester Pitt is <laughs> is the ACC champ with two losses. Right. I forgot that. Right. So you have four conference champs that are two loss teams. What is the compelling reason to go to two loss Ohio State sitting on their couch? Because I think two loss Alabama has a better case there, especially if it's not a blowout, because at least you made your conference title game. But the idea that Ohio State loses to Michigan, Michigan loses to Iowa, Michigan, Ohio State, and Iowa all wind up with the same record, and you take the team that didn't make the conference title game, I don't think that's possible. Like, I don't, I'm not saying it's not possible in the world. I don't think the 13 people in that room, given how they operate, would do it. I don't know that I agree. I, I, so just to to run through real quick. Okay. I mean, I, I did actually compile everybody's ranked wins at this point and I'll include a potential conference championship game too. Okay. So Georgia would be in their only uh, ranked wins to this point are number 20, 22 and 23. They'd add number three, Alabama as well. I'm not going to try to do the math of where everybody would move after conference championship weekend. Um, Michigan at that point, only win would be number seven over Ohio state. I, don't feel like that's enough. Um, I might be wrong, but I don't know. I mean, you'd be in a scenario where you're doing Michigan versus Ohio State and Michigan would have beaten Ohio State. And who, and who are Ohio State's wins? Right. And then I, well, and I'll get to that. So Ohio State, their only uh, win would be number 11 Michigan State at that point. So how can you put in two loss Ohio State sitting on their couch with one ranked win? Because the committee thinks that they're better. Because the committee thinks that they're better. I mean, that, that's what it comes down to is that they're going to say, we looked at the numbers, we looked at the efficiency, and we felt like Alabama and Ohio State were the next two best teams in America. If you look at FEI, for example, Ohio State's two and Alabama's three, right? Michigan's four, Notre Dame's five, Oklahoma State's six, Cincinnati's seven. Like, that's the argument that they'd make is that, well, we don't have any compelling cases in terms of, uh, in terms of conference champions and whatever. So we feel like we need to put the four best teams in and we're going to default back to the teams that we feel like we're good in the first place. So let's make this a final thing because uh, it's probably not going to happen. And like thinking about things that aren't probably going to happen, we have limited breaths that we take in this life. And so four (laughs) minutes on this is actually probably enough. The committee, though, traditionally has valued conference championships. And we've seen movement in the polls after conference championship weekend. And they say, well, they didn't have a championship before. Now they do. So in that world, I just don't in the chaos, the conference championships are your life, are your life preserver. So to say undefeated Georgia, one lost Notre Dame, you could have a Cincinnati conversation, but then I think you grasp onto let's pick from among two lost champ Baylor, two lost champ Oregon, two lost champ Wake Forest, and two lost champ Iowa. Because if we're trying to have the who's better conversation. Well, Iowa beat Michigan, but Michigan beat Ohio State, but Ohio State beat Michigan State, but Michigan State beat Michigan. Like, what are we doing? Somebody held up a trophy on Saturday. And if we're going to completely ignore that for fabricated what we think garbage, (laughs) what are we doing? And also, Jahan, if you think you're rubbing your eyes thinking about this, those 13 people, there's not a right answer. Yeah. But the thing that would cause them, I think, the least amount of guff is give it to the people that hoisted trophies over the weekend. Yeah, I and if that's the case, right? I mean, I get it. I'm the Big 12 guy. I graduated from but like they would have three top 15 wins and a conference championship at that point. Baylor? Yeah, at that no, they point. De- I think they de- I think they'd be the next out of that group, they'd be the first one cuz they'd be ahead of Oregon and Wake Forest and Iowa. 
No, and, and Cincinnati, who I would argue still at that point, obviously with one loss with that win over Notre Dame uh, without a conference championship, that's a tough one, right? Because I think that they'd still clearly be the best sort of one-loss team in that scenario. But I, I think because they are an AAC team, they'd probably get left out. But I do think if we want to have a conversation, it's like Baylor's definitely in. And then it's Cincinnati versus two-loss Iowa, two-loss Oregon, two-loss Wake Forest. Especially if Oregon loses to Utah and nobody in the Pac-12 has less than three wins. And now it's two-loss Wake Forest, two-loss Iowa, and Cincinnati. I think maybe you wind up at one-loss Cincinnati there. And then your playoff is Georgia, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Baylor. And by the way, good luck to everybody who wanted something new. Again, it's like, oh, my God. So – so I just, but I don't think, like, I don't think there's any scenario where Ohio State makes the playoff because you can't, you're not a participant. And when they did it before, but when Alabama they Alabama did, Alabama did. No, I know. But when they've done it before, you've, those teams had previous big time ranked wins to hang, hang their hats on that the year that Ohio State lost to Penn State, did not go to the Big Ten Championship game and was the three seed. They'd won at Oklahoma. They'd won at Wisconsin. They beat Michigan in an overtime game that was a 2-3 game at the end of the year. They had like three top 10 wins. Okay, so they had one regular season loss. They didn't go to the conference championship game. They had three top 10 wins. This year they have one. They have like one top 50 win. So that's the thing. I think you have to have almost an undeniable resume if you're not a conference champ. And I don't think anybody out there I don't think Ohio State would have an undeniable resume, and I don't think Alabama would have an undeniable resume. But at least Bama played, right? I'd rather take a conference championship loser than a conference couch team with a resume that isn't very good. So Ohio State's not getting in, and if somebody on a network happened to mention that over the weekend or on Tuesday (laughs) night, not that we're directly disputing them. I'm just telling you they're wrong. They're factually wrong on the facts, and we just gave you the facts. All right, Sunday, we'll see you Sunday. That's our plan. We'll see you Sunday. And we'll talk about what happened. And then we got stuff planned where I think we're going to break that. We'll break down the semis in December. I would like to do our biggest surprises and disappointments from a playoff perspective all year. We'll have the textures involved with that. We'll get your thoughts, um, everybody, about like the, the totality of it all. Sometimes when you're in it each week and we got our heads down and we're screaming at the committee, it's going to be fun once we get the announcement to sort of step back for a month and really think about what this year was like. So. Thanks, everybody who listens. We'd love if you're listening to this and you like it. Try the Tuesday show on Apple Podcasts, only for Apple Podcast subscribers, $2.99 a month. You get four episodes for that. And again, the text, if you want to vote on surveys and stuff, 817-442-6789. Read Shahan J. Haraja at CBS Sports. Listen to the College Football Playoff Show twice a week. And thanks, as always, for being part of it. For Shahan, I'm Doug. And that... I call it the playoff show. I'm going to get sued. For For Shahan, I'm Doug, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.